0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.
1: We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the
2: podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
1: This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 208 for February 10th, 2021. It's our eight year anniversary. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we address some questions from last week's episode and talk about how to do conferences the right way. So fire up that Zoom account and make sure it's updated because the Serum Archaeology podcast starts right now. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Bill in California. Good afternoon. And Doug in Scotland. Hey everyone. So I was not on the last podcast recording. I had to be out for various reasons, but I did listen to it. And I did hear it during some of the editing because my wife, Rachel, actually edited that show, but I I did hear parts of it while she was editing it. And we also got some comments over on our Slack team. If you don't know what a Slack team is, Slack is basically a messaging platform that you can get on any one of your devices, Apple or Windows, phone, tablet, computer, whatever, browser, and then use that to have focused discussions within channels. And we have one for our members only, arcpodnet.com forward slash members, if you're interested in that. But anyway, on the Sierra Arc channel Slack team, one of our members, Amy, and she's talked about some stuff before on here, (laughs) had quite the reaction, which is good, to this discussion. And she was really talking about in segment two, Doug mentioned some stuff about video editing. She was saying how that seemed like just saying, hey, why don't you put out a video instead of a paper for a conference if the conference is going to be virtual She's like, you know, I, I did some of this, I looked at some of this, and it's just not easy for people to put together a video when it comes down to doing this. You know, it's a, it's a massive effort and a massive undertaking to do that kind of thing. And Doug, you had a response to this because you've got quite a bit of experience with that. Why don't you let us know what your response to that comment is? Because other people probably thought, yeah, it's not easy to put together a video. What are you talking about, Doug?
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, typical me, like it made sense in my head <laughs> and then I left out like key details, which is... The main point I was trying to get across was that you know, if, if you're not stuck in a room, actually you could still do this if you did a traditional conference, but you know, we have a, a pretty much 99% of all conference presentations is someone going up to a podium of some sort, or maybe in front of an audience, there's some chairs, some people sitting there, and they either read off or wing it. Do a presentation for about 15 or 20 minutes with a PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. I know you can get a little bit fancy there. You could use Apple's PowerPoint. It's called, but pages or something like that. Yeah. Well, Apple's PowerPoint is called Keynote. Yeah. Keynote. Yeah. So, all right. So maybe you have PowerPoint. Maybe you have Keynote. Maybe you have an open office document version of that. And uh, what's the. What's the one that zooms in and out? Prezi. If someone's feeling a bit fancy, you might get like a a Prezi presentation, but that's pretty much it in terms of like what happens at conference presentations. I mean, uh, I've recorded 5,000 some presentations in the last Mm -hmm. like not even decade. I've seen a lot. I've seen a few creative ones. Absolute favorite one was an archaeologist from Japan, did a traditional uh, man, I can't even describe it. Like it it, <laughs> it was like it was like interpretive dance, but not quite with like sound and him replicating Jamon figurines. I mean, mm-hmm. you just had to see it. It was amazing. But that one aside, and occasionally some sort of interactive workshops like we basically yeah. do 99.999% of all presentations are pretty boring. And so the, the point I was trying to get across, and I probably did a horrible job of doing, was basically to say is like, you know, once you have, you know, unshackled yourself from having to be in a physical room with a PowerPoint and a presentation and, you know, you're, you have a time limit of like 15 minutes or, 20 or 25, you know, it doesn't really matter how much time you have. It's, it's (laughs) set. Like we could get really interesting stuff. And that was sort of the point was I would really hope if we do start doing more digital conferences, we'd get a lot more creative. So like the conferences that like Lorna does on Twitter, where I think it's a 15 tweets and that's, that's like your entire paper. I mean, that's pretty cool. That's a really interesting one. Just to add that, like I've seen, it's a Japanese, I think, I forget what it is, but like sometimes there's presentations where you do like three minute presentations and stuff like that. I've seen a couple of those sessions, but like, you know, very rarely. And so my whole point was, you know, if you're doing digital and like a lot of people are now pre-recording their presentations and, you know, you have to do a presentation for like 20 minutes, 22 minutes is like the average of a half hour episode of like on TV. Yeah. Imagine if if you just yeah. like pushed it a little bit and also to be honest, if you have digital and we've done this with conferences I've been working on with it was digital was like, yeah, we told people to try to stay under like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but if they went over or under, it didn't matter because we had all pre-recorded it. We could like, you know, play with it a little bit and fit everyone in and it was all okay. And it was just a get across the point was, if we could do digital, we could be a bit more creative. And of course, like not everyone can edit video. It just popped into my head because I can edit video. Yeah, that I was like, oh yeah, this this is something I would have been able to do. I could just make it into a, a full episode or something like that that could go on TV if we wanted to. It so still probably I'd just end up on YouTube. But you know, it was an example, and the point I really should be getting across is not that you know. It could be video because video. If you don't know how to edit video, and even if you do, you may not be the best at it. I'll raise my hand to that. Right. You know, it's it's not for everyone. But the idea was mainly, if you've got a digital presentation, like go full digital. Like you've you've unshackled yourself from being stuck to you know reading off a paper for fifteen minutes in a room with like ten people. Yeah you could get really creative. That was my thing is I really hope that if we start going this route of more digital conference presentations, that we could do some really interesting and fun stuff. So like uh, example, we did a TAFAC, Tayside and Fife archaeology conference. It lined up nicely during the shutdowns to be in between it. But like one of the presentations was on the discovery of a carved stone ball, which Google it, big deal in Scotland, Mm -hmm. mainly only found in Scotland. But they're pretty rare. There's only like a couple hundred of them. We actually went out to the site of where they found it and did a quick film there. And then they did a normal mm. presentation. And then we also went to the museum yeah. where it's now stored and showed the case. So like that was like one of the video presentations was it was not just, hey, look at this slide of a picture of the place. We actually did like a panoramic sort of like slowly panning around with the video so you could actually see. And we also used a drone and could really show like where the site was and how it was found in situ well not quite in situ but we were able to do that for a presentation because it was digital and I guess you know you could still do that in a physical conference you know show the video in your PowerPoint but it wouldn't quite be the same because we it was two people doing the presentation and we cut back and forth and I, I found it much more engaging but video is not for everyone but you know there's other ways to being creative and I think that would be really cool if people I don't know did I'd love yeah. to see someone do like claymation presentation or something like that. Claymation oh my animation. We'd definitely get comments now. <laughs> or or uh. sock puppets. Like I would, I would kill to see someone <laughs> pop up with like yeah. a uh, you know Mister Rogers sock puppet presentation yeah. of like archaeology or wow. I'm I'm really reaching here, and I'm probably. Angering a lot of people, but like that's that's <laughs> yeah. what I mean. Or like if you if you know how to program websites, like you could do an entire your presentation as a website, or I, I don't know. I, I just feel like we could do more, but I don't mean to put this as pressure because like not some people just want to give a 10-minute a read-off presentation, and that's what they're comfortable with. And yeah, you should always do it what you're comfortable with. I, I just think at the moment we're kind of missing a beat. And what we could do with digital, I would hope if we do more digital, basically, you know, we get a bit more creative, but not for everyone, you know, don't feel pressure to.
1: Well, here's the thing. I think you should feel pressure to, and I'll tell you why. Because first off, if you come up with a great way to represent your data and how you want to do this. Right. And, and you got to first you got to first step back and look at why am I presenting at this conference? Am I presenting as a prelude to a paper or a dissertation or, you know, a thesis or something like that? Then that's really going to be this is kind of a dry run. You know what I mean? So you don't have to like go nuts with it. This is more of a dry run. And your, your real output is this thing over here. You're just putting this in front of your peers to kind of see what they think, right? I mean, that's what a lot of paper presentation is for a lot of people. But then for some others, this might be the culmination of some body of research that they did or some facet of the research that I'm doing all these things over here, but I'm also doing this because I'm going to this conference. So I'm going to present it in this way. But if you come up with a great way to do it this is one of the biggest problems i feel like archaeologists have and why we have so one you know mom and pop or or one person crm shops out there is because everybody thinks they can do everything themselves. And it's a massive failing of business to think that you can do everything yourself. And it goes the same way with conference presentations. I don't care if you're a student. If you're a student, you really have no excuse because you're at a university where every resource you want access to actually exists, right? You may have to trade something. You may have to do something. You may have to, if you have funding, great. You might be able to use some of that for for some of this. But if you wanna put together a video, you can pull out your iPhone, shoot some pretty great video of your site and then hand all this over to somebody else to have them process it. And like I said, if you got funding, if you could do something for them, use your talents, you know, whatever the case may be, but figure out a way to get it done. If you've got the time and the ability and you've always wanted to learn how to edit video, then don't let that stop you either. Right. There's plenty of YouTube resources out there to get you started on free software for doing some pretty decent video editing. If you're not trying to be the next, you know, Stanley Kubrick or something like that. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you're trying to get a point across. So, but to your other point, I think that, I think we need to flat out stop, 15-minute paper presentations where somebody stands in front of a lectern and reads. You didn't pay $2,500 in airline fees, hotel fees, and conference fees to read a paper for 15 minutes to a crowd of six people, okay? Make it something people wished they'd been in the room for. Make it something people tweet about, people talk about. People say, oh my God, did you see this Presentation. Did you see this thing? And it doesn't take a lot extra to do that. It just takes some extra effort. You know what I mean? I mean, you may have had the most earth shattering discovery of your life on a site, but if you're standing up there staring at your papers, shuffling through and losing your place and whatever, literally nobody's going to hear it. It's all about the delivery. You know, it's all about the delivery. Think about a fancy restaurant where you're going to pay $50 for your food. There's four grams of food on there and I'm gonna be hungry four minutes later, but I'm paying fifty dollars for it because of the presentation (laughs) and the setting that I'm in, right? I mean we're not because we're archaeologists, but somebody is. So I just think we could do better. I think we could do better because we put a lot of work into this for a crappy. You know what?
4: So first of all, I I don't know (laughs) what to say because I've heard many pieces of the actual live presentation arguments from my wife who studied business and got her master's in human resources and in their classes, they're not allowed to use notes or read a paper. Like they've got to make a sales pitch and then they might be able to use like some kind of PowerPoint and they work in a group and then they've got to just recite it. And it's like 40 minutes long and each person has to stand up and do their piece and they got to know every single thing, which means they have to have read it and internalized it and everything And they do it for like an entire semester and then they switch up their groups and do it again. Like her, when she was an undergrad, her practicum group was, she had like three classes and it was the same five or six people in every single class pretty much all day. And in one of those classes, that's all they did. And so after a year of doing that, when she was an undergrad, you know, it was much easier to give her presentations and she went to an archeology span conference I think it was because she wanted to go to the cool town, but then also like because we were dating. And she saw that way we were doing out there and was like, I'll never go watch archaeology again. Like this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. It could have been amazing, but yeah. I just I'll never watch it again. And I don't know if she's ever watched me give a talk since then, ever. But she her saying that, like, don't go and give it for 15 minutes. Don't read a paper. I ended up getting to the point where I practice it, you know, 20 times to get it within 15 minutes so that I can at least look at my PowerPoints. And I might have some notes maybe in presenter view, but I don't, I'm not really allowed to read it out loud anymore. Right. I still write the paper because I might write an article or someone might want to know about it or something, but I can't, I don't read it anymore. And then that really did help me quite a bit. And it was really my wife urging me to go that way. So I can say, if you will do that, then that's great. But going back to the thing of like the university having resources, I don't, I think it's been a long time since you were at of university Chris, like, <laughs> yes, it may look like there are just many resources. <laughs> and you may see that there is, you know, film production abilities. And you may see rooms full of, you know, all the top quality things to create a green screen and all the highest tech and people with PhDs that pretty much invented that software and that system and all that stuff that collaborate with Hollywood. And you may see all of those things and they do not help students with presentations in classes or at conferences. They don't help you produce it. They're not going to film it. They're not going to edit it. They're not going to help you. And they're going to want to know, like, is this to teach a class at this university? Because that's what all these resources are for. And if you say, no, it's just for my archaeology conference, it's kind of like, okay, way back at the end of that line that you can't even see the end of past everyone who's like producing videos and stuff for this university, you can go stand in that line at the very furthest end. And if we help every single person in front of you and no one else needs to produce a class in front of you, then you can possibly get some help. So if you're a student and you are doing the video stuff, like you kind of actually are on your own. You're not going to get assistance. That university is not really going to do that unless you're building an online course or you're doing a film for one of their things that they need for them like that's what the entire thing is designed for and so don't think that the university is going to give you a lot of help now that being said you are at a university that has tons of resources and so i you know i don't know if it's a top quality university or whatever there are places that have cameras there are green screen rooms there are places where you can spend a few hours if you really wanted to try to do the video thing but Uh, You know, I personally, the bar is so low in archaeology, just start with not reading the paper and you're already going to be like, you know, a high level, just practicing that, (laughs) write the paper, practice reading it 20 times at least to the point where you can just recite everything that you're going to say. Like that alone is already going to make your talk much more
3: memorable.
1: Yeah. So. All right. Well, with that, let's hold Doug's comment until segment two. We're going to take a break because we're right at the end here. Let's do that and come, oh, come back. Come on,
3: and... Chris. I could drag this out for another 10 minutes. Doug, no,
1: I know you can. We're
3: out. Me, <laughs>
1: back in a minute. <laughs> Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first 3 months or go to zencast and use the code CRMARC.
2: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra
1: Welcome back to the Sierra Mark podcast episode 208 and we're still talking about virtual conferences and Doug had a, what I was imagining was a lengthy rebuttal to what was being said, which is why I cut him off specifically. No, it's like 30
3: (laughs) seconds, Chris.
1: (laughs) Nothing you have said has ever been 30 seconds. Doug, go.
3: (laughs) Okay. It was just to say like, it's gonna be weird. I'm gonna argue both ends of this and just say like, yeah, Some people do pay several thousand or they actually more accurately, they get their work slash university to pay several thousand so they can go and do a crappy presentation. But that's because their main reason for being at the conference is not the presentation. It is something else. So, you know, a 15 second paper is exactly what, not fifteen-second. but to be honest, if they could get away with it, they would just do like a 15 second paper and be like, hi, I'm (laughs) so-and-so. My work is paying for this. I'm here for the networking. Bye. Like, if you could do that, <laughs> yeah. that's what they would do. You know, in defense of the status quo, it does serve a purpose for some people. All right. So not like 30 seconds, Chris, but that was like a minute. <laughs> I could got that in the last
1: second. Well, hey, you never know. You never know. I got to hedge my bets here with past performance. So <laughs> one thing, I'm glad you brought this up, Doug, because this is one of my big pluses for virtual conferences, right, is you're right. A lot of people that go to these conferences, because let's let's face it, shovel bombs don't often go to conferences unless they're local and regional, right, because we just can't afford to go. So a lot of people that are at these conferences are either the people that can A, just afford to go, or B, are... In an academic or business setting in which that institution is paying for them to go, right? They get one conference a year or something like that. I know a lot of bigger CRM firms where they get one conference a year or they get a budget that says, hey, you can go to this many, you know, professional learning things and you've got this much money to do it with, right? Same thing with universities. So whatever the thing is that gets you there, they're often paying for it. So if we could just get people to think outside the box a little bit, and if you're going to a virtual conference, that money's still there, right? So why can't we just take that $2,000 they were going to give you to you know, fly to Washington, D.C. and stay in the $300 a night hotel room to actually pay somebody at your university at which you do have resources bill? I didn't say people were going to do something for you for free, but I know, for example, the University of Nevada, Reno has people in their journalism department looking to do work like intern type work, but still work and, and paid intern work right on specific projects so they can build out their portfolio right that's the kind of thing but you're right they're not going to sit down and just spend 40 hours editing your crappy iphone video together for free right you're going to have to pay (laughs) them for that (laughs) i mean you might have to pay them five six hundred dollars but it'll be a product you'll have after that that's not just a conference presentation and you can use the money you would have spent to go to the conference
4: yeah i'm just saying like please don't rely on that No, don't rely on it,
1: but at least don't turn it down.
3: No organization is going to be like, oh, we've just saved like two to three to five thousand dollars, pounds, euros, yen, whatever, and are going to be like, let's spend that somewhere else. Like, you're right. Universities are like hurting so much. So, like, instantly they're going to be like, well, guys, we're just going to cut that budget there. Sorry no conferences, but yeah. we're still like, you know, that yeah. money's going to be needed elsewhere. And uh-huh. have you ever met a CRM firm? That's just like, well, we didn't end up needing to spend this three K let's just like spend it on video. Right. Like, I mean, not to say that they shouldn't, but will they, I, I, I think you're, you're really optimistic, Chris, but like, Doug,
1: you're not thinking of two things here. First off, Universities are a dying model of education, right? They need to come around to reality and think of new ways to spend their money and new ways to do education. And this could be one of those things. Think outside the box. And listen, if I were running a business and I had the choice of sending somebody to a conference to give a 15 minute presentation that was literally going to go nowhere after that, or put together a 15 or 20 minute video about something that we did that could go on the website, go on YouTube, and have long lasting impacts on lots of different people and be much more usable from a sheer business standpoint that makes a ton of sense. So universities that aren't looking at stuff like that in this time of no conferences, but you know the funding is still there for those, then if the funding's not there, that's another conversation. But if the funding was still there because it wasn't spent, you need to think outside the box. A CRM firm, if they budgeted, say, $20,000 a year for their CRM department, and I'm not talking about your small CRM firms. I'm talking about your engineering firms and stuff like that that do this kind of thing for all their business lines, right? They might budget $20,000 a year for professional conferences for their for their high level people to go to. That money is still budgeted and it's a tax write off, right? It's not a tax write off but it comes off your expenses, right? So they're still going to look for a way to spend that money even if you can't go to the conference because otherwise they're paying a crap ton of taxes on that money that they've got sitting in their bank. So they're still going to spend it, right? It doesn't just go into the owners, you know, Bentley fund. It goes it goes into your taxes. So it's, it's budgeted and that's what it's there for. Again, your mom and pop shops are not going to be doing this kind of thing, but that's not who I'm talking about because most people work for larger firms these days, let's be honest. And that's the kind of stuff they could be doing. So I'm just saying, think outside the box and it doesn't hurt to ask.
4: So I, I totally understand that idea of thinking outside the box. But I mean, like, so first of all, public education is not a business and it's also not where there's cash overflowing, right? So
1: it's very much a business, though.
4: I don't think that teaching human beings, you know, what they need to survive is like you know, not moral obligation for society, right? So, you know, sure. first of all, you're right. They, they have totally changed the entire model of folks learning and stuff like that into more of a business. I mean, we're going to see in the next few years, which schools are straight up businesses, and which universities are not, you know, 100% businesses, but you're right, there is definitely an aspect to that whole thing that is, you know, rooted in trying to maximize you know, revenue essentially. I mean, that's all that's really about getting people to put money in from boosters, trying to get state governments to put money in without a corresponding change in the direction or quality of the product that they're giving. And I, I absolutely hear what you're saying about that, that many universities are still, I mean, no joke, still seriously using the same discussions that used to be given on slide decks about archaeology that they now just transferred it to PowerPoint and it's the same mind numbing thing that folks are paying, you know, now tens of thousands of dollars. And 40 years ago, they were only spending thousands of dollars. Right. And I I totally get Mm -hmm. it. But if you were like looking for a university as an organization to, you know, understand that they are in a box and to become creative about that stuff when it comes to like disseminating (laughs) knowledge or something like that, we're talking about over, just overhauling the entire organization, right? Because students are not gauged based on innovation or change. Even if they do invent some life-changing thing, they will still have to deliver it in that same peer-reviewed journal format, in the same kind of performative thing that we know in these talks and these presentations. Because those who are consuming that media, the people who would you know hire them, the people that would you know promote them, the people that are going to give them their PhD, only can understand that kind of thing if we were to do which i hope to god we don't ever do it but if we were to get to the point where we're doing interpretive dance with sock puppets and stuff like that as a way to get a phd <laughs> or a way to get your degree in archaeology which once again i want to say out loud no sock puppets and i just uh, no dance right like have you ever seen archaeologists dance it's 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 definitely a it's sight not to behold yeah it's not something you want to see
3: well, Bill, <laughs> don't knock it until you see it, man. Like, I'm telling you, that that one presentation was the coolest presentation I have ever seen. You're right, but I conference. know that
4: person was not using sock puppets, my friend. They weren't. They're not. We're not doing that. We're not claymationing.
3: Uh, well, hey, man, the guy was in a full bodysuit. You know, like those those ones that like 20 years ago, people were doing like the green suits, whereas like for Halloween, it was just like a complete 100% bodysuit. He, he was in there. He had cardboard cutouts for, like, masks. It was it was something else, Bill. It was something else. Definitely
4: awesome, but I, I'm just saying, like, what you're asking the university system to do is to change their values, like, completely. There's not motivation to do that because... We're at a point where folks need college degrees to just get like any form of job, and the only place you can get a college degree is from a college, and all the people who are hiring, especially CRM companies, are definitely looking for folks that meet the secretary of interior standards or could meet those standards, right? So you're looking for someone who has a degree, if not one degree, multiple degrees, and the only place you can get that is the university. There's no real incentive for them to change their evaluation Or grading or diploma granting status to be flexible like that, right? So what you're asking is not really actually a possibility in our generation, or I wouldn't even see for the foreseeable future until people start basing hiring individuals on performance, abilities, skills, and what they've actually already done versus degrees. And we're not there yet.
1: Well, we got two people on the call that have something that they can do about that. First off, I mean, I don't do it a lot right now, but I am a business owner and I have hired people in the past. And I, the only reason I would stick to some sort of degree requirement is really because I'm supposed to, right? I mean, we are hiring on skills and abilities. And sometimes that is the best judge right now in the world that we live in on what someone's base qualifications are, right? So I totally understand that. But Bill, when you say university system... I mean, you can't say that as a third party anymore, right? You are the university system. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like yes, you're, I you're I part of it yeah. now. And,
4: and yeah. Yes. And so <laughs> as an insider, as someone who is like trying to lift an elephant, right? But still being a human being, I know from the inside exactly what I'm talking about. And yeah. Trying to it's do hard that to change. Stuff. Like I, You yeah. see me on YouTube giving these talks about what's supposed to happen yeah. through my classes, through the stuff, right? The students are actually learning it. I'm actually getting this research. I'm... Still publishing in their journals, still writing all the books and all that stuff, still showing up to faculty meetings, still in the machine, right? But the machine is not, I know personally, it is not designed to think outside of the box. If there was a box, it's like, we're in the box. There's a steel box around that, another box around that with no windows. So no one can see what the possibility could be. And that's where I work. So I know that where we're at, we're not at the point where we can just go to this level. I mean, I'm in it. I'm trying to actually change yeah. things.
3: I'd also say, like, even if we did get to that level, I mean, something we haven't, we've, we've talked about the positives. But, I mean, this is going to probably sound weird coming from me. Because I'm going to go out of a limb, but I'm pretty, pretty solid on this. I have recorded more archaeology conference presentations than anyone alive or Probably. Dead. I'd agree with that. Yeah. And... <laughs> Not every presentation should be put on the web and should be recorded. And I am a huge firm believer that people like I get a ton of reasons why people don't want to be recorded. And it makes like it's a huge range. Some of it's safety. Like some people are from minority groups that work in countries where it is illegal to be who they are. And we're not talking like illegal, oh, Uh, a little fine slapped on the wrist, something like that. We're talking like death sentences. And so they can't be open about who they are to the world, but they do have an important aspect to talk about this in a controlled setting where only certain people can see it. Mm -hmm. And sorry for being super vague on this, but, you know, I've got, I'm not going to like out people who've who've given me reasons why they don't want to do it. Some people also like, you know, it can be public speaking is not, fun for a lot of people. There's a there's a ton of reasons, you know, sometimes they make mistakes, people don't want it out there. There's there's a ton of stuff. And I'm just thinking like to a recent conference, like, you know, certain people have now lost their jobs for being on online digital conferences and doing Nazi salutes, which, you know, fair enough. If this is their behavior now, they should have lost it like probably 40 years ago. But I, I think there is a an aspect we do need to consider when saying like, yeah, you know, creative video, put stuff out there, record it, digital, more people can access it. That's great. But sometimes more people is not fun. And like another area that I get a lot of people requesting not to have their presentations put up is when you're talking about like the far right or Nazism or... Yeah, all that fun stuff of, like, people taking over heritage for basically neo-fascists slash fascists. I guess fascists never went away. I guess there's no neo-fascists. They've always just been fascists. We haven't lost them sort of aspects. Because those people, when those videos go up, they'll get a lot of hate on, like, Twitter or something like that. Some of them are used to it, but some of them are just like, yeah, guys, I, I just can't do that again. So, you know, I think there is... yeah we should probably talk a bit about the downsides of, of you know doing digital conferences and virtual conferences obviously there's a lot of pros but there's definitely a lot of negatives to it as well
1: Yeah, but unless your conference is completely closed, that kind of stuff's been happening for a decade, right? Like people have been tweeting out conference presentations they're sitting in. I've even seen people, you know, videoing the thing on their phone and releasing portions of that without the person's consent. I don't even know if that's against the conference regulations, right? Like depending on the conference, it might be. But people are still doing it because it's a really hard thing to enforce. I'm not saying they should do it, but it's happening. So if you're going to present your ideas in, for lack of a better way to say this, a public forum, which let's be honest, a conference is a public forum because if you've got the money, you can go, right? There's nothing saying you can't go to the SAAs because you're not an archaeologist. In fact, they even have a special... Price for spouses of archaeologists and family members of archaeologists to go, right? (laughs) So if you've got the money, you can go, which means it's a public forum and you're already putting your ideas out there. So the fact that they're just getting out there in a different way, in a more permanent way, is a slightly, slightly to the side aspect of that and not just a, hey, this was private before and now it's public, right? That's just, I think people just need to understand that first. And you're right, there are other. I guess, negatives and downsides when it comes to public speaking and stuff like that. But you know, that's where that's where our own society fails us too. That We should focus on making people better science communicators when we're putting them through their undergraduate studies and graduate studies and focusing on that as a real thing. Because if you're not a better science communicator, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you can't communicate it to the public, you're done. So, and I'm going to leave this segment with one more thing, and then we'll stop for segment three. But I just got a comment You know, Bill talking about this is a big ship, you can't move it, referring to universities. Conferences are the same way. I just looked at the number of conferences coming up for the SAAs. It's the 86th conference. And you know what the difference is between the 86th conference and the first conference? They now have non-binary bathrooms, and they think that's incredibly progressive. It's very progressive, probably 20 years too late, but it's very progressive But the fact that it's still basically the same conference as it was 86 years ago with people standing up and giving papers is incredibly sad. And the thought that they think they're progressive and other bigger conferences think they're progressive because they're doing one thing different. They've got lightning talks now. Ooh, crazy lightning talks, shorter paper presentations. Get out of here. Let's go to segment three.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
0: And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. da ba 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 Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.
1: All right, welcome back to CRM Mark 208 Rage Against the Conference Machine. Now, I, you know, I am kind of raging a little bit, but that's because I, I hate everything that is just status quo. I mean, I, I do like tradition in, in some ways, but tradition is just about as bad as nationalism, right? It causes people to do things that are, I don't know, they're doing it for the sake of doing it, and they can't see change when it's right in front of their face. So I'm not raging against any conference in particular. I feel like they're all in the same boat. The AAA sounds like they're doing some interesting things, but I don't really go to the AAA, so I don't, can't speak on that.
4: Well, one of the things that I'll say is that this last, you know, just thinking about the pandemic and just kind of its effect on conferences, you know, the sure the cat was let out of the bag, right? Like for the longest time, we could have been doing all these meetings and all this other crap that we were doing face-to-face. We could have <laughs> easily been doing it on Skype. I mean, mm-hmm. this podcast is proof that over years and years, you can keep mm-hmm. some kind of work going across years without having to actually meet face-to-face, right? So, you know, we only meet like once every, I think I've met Doug one time and we've been on more than (laughs) 200 podcasts together. And, you know, I think a lot of folks, they were hanging on to what they'd, you know, seen before, like you were saying a tradition or something else. But what I really think it was just kind of like, Comfort and lazy, right? So they were comfortable in their position and too lazy to try anything new while everything else changed around them. And so the podcast has been going on for a long time. We all know that you can do stuff differently because, you know, and we're not like innovators or whatever, but we've been doing it. We've been doing some stuff differently. And like, you know, we can see that there's something new coming down the tunnel. And then COVID happened. And now all of the extra gibberish that used to be going on face to face. Just kind of started evaporating away, man. It all just started going down until we're left with the only things that really were keeping this whole thing going, right? So now we're being given a chance that we can actually remake it, right? So, one of the things that I think, you know, me seeing the SHA, I think that I don't think we're going to be 100% face to face anymore. I think there's going to be some kind of virtual thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if organizations and, and uh, you know, nonprofits that are archaeology research things, they start making more videos and they start doing stuff and they're not gonna be, you know, experts. They're not all gonna hire cinematographers, but I really think that some of this stuff is gonna start becoming recorded Zoom talks. Like You know, we've been recording Mm -hmm. online for years and years. I think that there's going to be more and more of this kind of stuff that's being created. And I I don't know if I'm here to say, like, who should be recording and whatever else. But, like, a lot of this stuff's going to be going on the Internet. That's just what's going on. And while we were talking, I looked at SAA and their page for their upcoming conference, which is going to be in San Francisco. It's kind of like, you know, it's too late for anyone to submit for the 2021. It's going to be happening in April. The submission for papers, it closed in, you know, last fall. September. Yeah. So like, as I look at this page, it says something about the investigated going virtual or aspects of a virtual component, but true to SAA form, no one really knows like what actually happened. And I hope that they can possibly send us an email or something like that, because it's not clear if they're going to be going hybrid. So also while we were talking, I texted other folks that are supposed to be going to the SAA and they think that it's going to be virtual. But if you look at this thing that they have on their website it's not very clear at all like whether they're going to be virtual or not they talk about yeah. there being hybrid or in person and whatever and i don't really know what any of that stuff means like being in the bay area here these covid things go up and down they turn on the faucet we all get sick and then they turn it off so if you were planning on coming to san francisco i can tell you this right now be prepared to sit in your airbnb for 14 days and then get in your plane and fly back home (laughs) without going to any conference because they closed down the meeting hall. So like, that's just for real what's going on in California. And I don't think they're going to fix it by April, but even just the idea that like you were saying that, you know, they would be investigating these things or whatever. SAA has already been doing their webinars. Like they already have the capacity to do this. They could have very easily done what the SHA did. And the Mm -hmm. SHAs evaluations for the last conference. There's a lot of folks who said they would go to a virtual conference. So When the dust settles, there's going to be virtual aspects. And if these organizations don't do it, I can guarantee that students or someone else is going to start their own virtual conference and just take away that kind of viewership and all that presentation, take it away from the SAA.
1: Yeah, well, I can tell you, I signed up to go to this conference. I'm on a panel, actually, a discussion panel uh, forum, if you will. And they did send out an email at the beginning of January, I believe it was saying that basically, I don't know why the website is confusing, because maybe they are having some components or aspects, like maybe there's the official board meeting and stuff like that. They have to meet once a year and they they typically meet at the conference, right? So maybe they're still doing that in person in a lower key kind of scale. But from what I understand, everybody else is virtual because they sent an email that says, hey, now that we've made this decision, they basically said, are you still in? And if you're still in, fill out this form online and you had to or you had to fill out a, a word doc or something and send it to your session organizer. And then your session organizer sends it in and says, yeah, my session's still on. We're still good. So they're they're making sure that the sessions are still being participated in at the level that you know they they prescribe. So then the, when they make the program, they know what they're doing. But I don't know what the virtual thing's going to look like. I don't know what a forum's going to look like. Are they recording this? Is it going to be available? None of that information has been at least released to me, and, and not only am I a member, paid up. But I'm also paid for the conference and I'm also presenting at the conference <laughs> and I still don't know the answers to these questions. Oh, also, I'm not even going to be on the same coast when that happens in San Francisco. So, I mean, I was planning on flying out or we were going to be in our RV and head that direction because we we're just going to go that way early. But now that it's virtual, we're not coming to the West Coast until probably June. So definitely not going to participate. But yeah, from the SAA standpoint, there's, there's been little information put out about that.
3: I'm not like going off of what Bill said. I'm not sure that our future is going to be that virtual. Like I, I honestly, I can say, I think what's going to happen is you're, you are going to have virtual, but it's going to be all virtual events and in-person events. I think you're going to get some like ghettoization of various things. And I would, sure. uh, I would suspect what's going to happen is like, People who can afford to go in person are going to go in person because, yeah, no one's really going to the conference for their fifteen-minute presentation. I mean, some people are, but a lot of people—it's everything else. And yeah, and, and the thing though is, is like a lot of places and organizations that couldn't have a conference. So this is like you know North America. There's regional sort of state or regional conferences, and then there's basically. SHA, SAA, AAA's, Society of Bioanthropology. Like, there's a couple of, of national yeah. conferences out there, AIAG. but really AIA, yeah. But really, that's, yeah. that's basically it because the United States is so absolutely massive that you can't actually have like a public archaeology conference or a. I guess there are some bioanthropology, bioarchaeology, but they're using mm-hmm. it. Wrapped up into SAA or uh, AAA's, you know, stuff like that. Um, whereas in like Europe, you can you have a much more condensed population in a smaller area. Travels cheaper. You can sometimes get away with a sort of smaller conference. Uh, but like, I suspect what's going to happen is a lot of people will realize that actually our specialist session will get a lot more out of not being hooked into these big expensive conferences. And let's just do a you know zoom conference with the 20 of us who are really interested in this niche subject I think that's gonna help a lot of people like with that but I suspect it's gonna start taking away from those big conferences like you're gonna get a two-tier system where it's people who who can afford it and then like mm-hmm. a lot of universities who budgets have been cut because there's not gonna be there's gonna be fewer students and you know states aren't funding that fed's not funding it no one's funding it they're gonna look at it and be like, you know what, we're no longer gonna pay for this. You just get your your Zoom conference for all you students, or you know, whoever ones that you know. A lot of departments will have like, hey, you can uh, apply for some sort of bursary to help cover part of your travel to a conference to present. Usually, doesn't cover any enough. And like the students like stuck in a room with like 10 other people who are all students on bursaries trying to save money. So they all chip in like 25 bucks to get like a hotel room to share between them and like a shady part of town, whatever. I bet a lot of those disappear and (laughs) you basically have a two tier system of, you know, organizations that will pay full cost for people to go to conferences and then everyone else who can do it digitally. And I do, uh, It will open up a lot to a lot of people who've been excluded, but it is also going to start siloing a lot of people as well. Like we're going to start splintering off.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. I I think, again, we have to look to other industries that have already done this. Right. And one of my my only real example for this is, well, there's two podcast conferences I've gone to. One of them, though. What is called PodFest. It's always in Orlando. I went to it last year, actually, right before COVID really locked everything down. I was at that conference in Orlando. And one of the things that they did was, well, first off, this is not an academic conference. Things are a little different, right? It's more of a professional conference and an almost really kind of a hobbyist conference for some people, right? They just go there because... I, I met people that went there just because they want to start a podcast and heard about this thing and figured they'd learn how to do it there, which is kind of a weird concept. But anyway... These guys sold a virtual ticket, which I've talked about numerous times on this show and other shows. And I think the virtual ticket is really the way to go because what we started this whole thing off with was Amy's comments about how expensive it is to put video together and all that stuff. And then talking about, Doug, you've had to actually, you know, Really struggle with finding your way and your workflows and getting people to help with all the video you're recording. As you said, you've recorded more video presentations than probably anyone alive, as far as at least archaeology goes, if not all conferences ever, as a single human being. <laughs> so, you know, you've, you know what that's all about and you know what that is. But if you were to sell a virtual ticket as an add on, to your normal conference presentation or as a single ticket where you just get the videos after the fact and you you promise them in a decent time frame. I mean they're not going to happen the day after the conference but you know within a month or so maybe. Promise that and you get a production company, you get a quote and you say, "Hey, this is what we're going to do. At Podfest, these things are professionally filmed. Every room has a, you know, a sound engineer who's also the video camera operator. The they mic the room, they get everything set up and it's all ready to go." and it's all recorded. And now I have access to that entire conference. And of course, it's not as big as something like our archaeology conferences. But there's still, at that PodFest last year, there were still probably 15 or 20 presentations happening concurrently, right? So I couldn't go to everything. But since I paid an extra, I think, $100 for the virtual ticket, then I got it. And then they did a cool thing at the end of the conference. The last day, they said, hey, buy your ticket for next year, and we'll give you the virtual ticket for free right? Stuff like that. Just to promote people to go to the conference and go there because they still need to pay for the venue. So they need a minimum number of people to actually attend the conference to make it, you know, economically viable for them. And then, so they promote that. But I think where archaeology should go is you're right. Nobody goes there to give a 15 minute presentation, right? Some people do because they're students and that's like, they are they really look forward to that. That's their thing. Then they realize once they've been there, that really the reason they were there was networking, but they didn't know that going in. And so we build the conferences around that maybe we have some strategic keynote presentations throughout the day from you know that are longer by established professionals they're doing that kind of thing and then we have workshopping events people can still get funding to go to professional workshop events that are maybe half a day all day a couple hours but you learn something that's really pertinent to what you're doing in these workshop events. And the rest of it is networking, right? The rest of it, you're there to be networking and do all that stuff. And just don't focus on the 15-minute paper. It is such a meaningless thing. And I don't know how many rooms I've been in, how many rooms I've presented in. And everyone listening to this right now who's ever presented at a conference knows exactly what I'm talking about. You've spent all this time on your paper, and there's literally five people in the room. And it, and it almost hurts that there's like 50 chairs. <laughs> there's five people in the room. All that setup, all that planning, all that preparation for five people to hear what you had to say, it is just demoralizing. And I don't think it's worth it. And I think we need to rethink how these conferences happen. Do all the presentations virtually, except for the keynote stuff. Encourage people to go for different reasons. That's, that's the end of my rant. Well,
4: either which way it is still one of the last avenues to present your research. So it still does matter. I mean, I learned a lot about yeah. what's going on in archeology span from seeing folks 15 minute presentation. So if I'm one of the five in your room, it's there cause I wanted to hear what you had to say. <laughs> and so, yeah, don't be demoralized. Like, go ahead, man. It's all right. Cause I've also been in those rooms. I only have five people, you know what I'm saying? Like I've been in there yeah. and there's only five. It mattered a lot to me and I don't always get comments back on whether it was something that anyone cared about, but, you know, that is a chance to tell you the world about your stuff. So go ahead and mm-hmm. use that 15 minutes and, you know, be there and hold your head high. Cause yeah, yeah, that that's what we've got. This is the system we live in. It doesn't have to be this way forever, but this is what we've got right now.
3: <laughs> it also depends like, you know, some people use it as a good opportunity to soundboard and practice. Like we're talking about how we sort of do presentations and stuff But there are quite a few people who do use those 15 minutes as a good opportunity to test out and sort of put out their thoughts uh, of the process they're going through and do seek feedback. And sometimes it can work really well. Sometimes you get that this is more of a comment than a question, which I think everyone sort of, uh, that's the response of, of generally, I think most, well, it'll be the four other people in the room. Or the 40, yeah. you know, depending on how it goes. It's usually like, ugh, not a comment. <laughs> but, you know, I think people do that. And I don't think we should completely throw out everything. I do agree with you, Chris. It could be done better.
1: That's all I'm saying.
3: Yeah. like Even like if you were there for just wanting to practice presenting, we could still do that better than what we do now with a 15-minute presentation to like five people.
1: I mean, you'd be better off with a workshop on how to
3: present your science. (laughs) I was just going to mention CAA for the last couple of years have done that. Um, And I think maybe EAA, they'll they'll have like a workshop before the conference where it's like, hey – unfortunately it's like usually like the day before. So if if you're like a student in something that could like really freak you out when you suddenly realize (laughs) that like, Oh no, I have so much work to do between before now and like eight o'clock tomorrow when I'm presenting for the first time. But yeah, I I think there probably is ways to improve things. Yeah. A lot of momentum though behind giving 15 minute presentations. All I can say
1: is I just wish we could think about doing some things differently and try them. Something may fail. That's okay. You know, we just need to do better and change this ship that's been going for 86 years in the case of the SAAs and and just as long in, in the case of some other conferences. So, hey, in the last couple of seconds here, guys, I just want to say happy anniversary because as people are listening to this on February 10th, February 11th, 2013, episode one of this podcast was published and that was eight years ago. So... And, and two of the people on that podcast were, were you, Doug, and Bill, and also Stephen, who just couldn't be here today, and Sarah Head, who is still podcasting. We had Ashley Morton and Russell Allen willems also on the list. I don't know if they were all on that very first show, but they're definitely on the list for hosts we had back then. So happy eight-year anniversary.
3: Nice. Well, Chris, I just have one thing to say to that. <laughs>
1: That'll be it first. Goodbye.
2: <laughs> <Jesus>.
1: <laughs> all right well everybody this was doug's last episode
4: <laughs> i'm glad you were telling the truth when you said you didn't really want a present because we've heard that before but fortunately you 2 <laughs> didn't really want an anniversary <laughs> present so that's great
1: that's right that's fine yeah no worries <laughs> i expect something for our tenure but that's it <laughs> 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 all right, guys. Well, thanks for eight years. Listen, I'm, I'm all about milestones. So here's to another two. I won't say another eight. If we hit 10 years, man, that is going to be fantastic. But I think as with all things that need to change... My dream for this podcast is to, not that we need to get rid of us, but is to just see it going with fresh ideas. You know what I mean? If there was a completely different set of hosts in two, three, four, five years, and we were just sitting back and listening to the great content they were listening to, I would be all for that, right? Just to keep a fresh perspective, keep people coming in and and keep it going. So if you're interested in coming onto the show and not taking over the show, and I'm not looking for a new you know, primary host right now or anything like that, but just new hosts. And as we roll this over into a new generation, then we'll keep this thing going and we'll keep it fresh, which is exactly what the conferences need to do. So there you go. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we will see you in the field. Goodbye. Oh, and Doug says goodbye. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at archpodnet.com dot com slash members get some swag and extra content while you're there send us show suggestions and interview suggestions we want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere and we want to know what you want to know about thanks to everyone for joining me this week thanks also to the listeners for tuning in and we'll see you in the field goodbye This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV, Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden.
2: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network.